Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have given us your word, that we can learn from it, be formed by it, that it can speak life and truth to our hearts because you speak, Lord. And so we pray this morning that my words would be your words for your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. What, uh, what sort of story do we find ourselves in? Asks Sam to Frodo in The Lord of the Rings. Tolkien's characters realize they're part of a larger story. Their lives are part of a history that's gone on before them. And in the same way, Tolkien, as a Christian, invites his readers to consider the story that is being told with their lives, the story that they find themselves in. And as we conclude our Exodus series today, we're going to finish this up and head to a new series for the rest of the fall. I want you to get a sense that this story has been your story as well. It's God's story, first and foremost. Israel enslaved, God redeeming them, the plagues, the Passover, the Red Sea, Mount Sinai, the Golden Calf episode, the Tabernacle, the Ten Commandments. All this story of Israel being formed as the people of God is also our story, too. God is creating them, he's redeeming them, and then he's forming them as a community, and he does the same work in the church today and individually in your lives. God has created you, he has redeemed you, and he is forming you to be part of a people. He calls us out of sin, out of Egypt, delivers us as we pass under the blood of the Lamb into the salvation and life and freedom that we have in Jesus, and now we're set free from sin and death, but now we're learning along the way what it means to follow God, to walk with him. What story have we found ourselves in? This story is our story, too. It's alive with God's redemptive purposes, and that story is this same story this morning, the story of how you got yourself, gathered yourself to this building worship together with brothers and sisters. This is part of the story God is telling in your life. And at the core of the story, we still find a central challenge or a central conflict. And we saw that really come to head last week with the Golden Calf episode. It's the fundamental issue in our human hearts to choose to follow and to love God and to honor him or to seek life apart from him. And so we saw last week, while Moses is on the mountain in God's presence, the people say, I'm not going to pursue that. I'm going to choose my own way. I'm going to choose to make life about what I want it to be about. I'm going to step aside from what God would want to do and pursue something on my own. And that's a decision that you and I face daily, to choose to pursue God and his presence or to choose to live a life that is self-centered and turned inward on ourselves. And the people choose idolatry and sin. And, and it, it's sort of a mirror for us, folks, of 
even when God is so at work and so generous and so uh, radiant in his glory and we have such an opportunity to come and to worship or such an opportunity to open our Bibles and to encounter him individually, how often do we leave God's presence and say, I've got something better to do. I've got something better to do with my time. We all face that choice. It's a very real choice, a very down-to-earth choice. In this final section, I want us to focus on how Israel realizes their need for the presence of God. They're realizing their need for forgiveness. There's a, there's a desire or a hunger for God's presence. It's not just an abstract sort of sensation of getting a little tingly, like, whoa, God's here, a little whoop. You know, it's not just that, though that can happen, but a sense of close friendship and relationship with their creator and redeemer. And so the question for us this morning that I want to pose is, are we desperate for the presence of God in our lives too? Do we long for a relationship and communion with Jesus or... Do we just seek to get by on our own? And that's what comes to a head in this first section that Jabez read for us. Exodus 33, verses 1 to 4. Uh, turn with me if you have it in front of you, or swipe there if you have it in your palm somehow. The Lord said to Moses, Depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up from the land of Egypt, the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, etc., etc. I'll send an angel before you. I'll drive out. List the various nations that are there. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you. At first, it seems like good news. God's saying, let's get on with it. Let's go up to the land. That's why we got out of Egypt in the first place, right? Let's get in to where we're meant to go. And despite their failures, God's still going to take them, right, to the promised land. But then we read, I'm not going up with you. And notice how in verse 1, God calls them the people, not my people. There's a distance now between God and the people. And it's a distance that's created because of sin. God calls them a stiff-necked people or a stubborn people. They're hard to deal with. You maybe know people like this in your life. Or maybe it's you. It's you. Don't worry. It's, it's all of us. A stubborn or stiff-necked people. God's going to be faithful to his promise. He's going to see it through that they're going to get to the promised land. But he's saying, I'm not going to personally go with you. And to Israel's credit, they respond appropriately. Look at verse 4. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned. And no one put on his ornaments. They take off all their jewelry. It's a demonstration of repentance. There's a time to put aside the superficial things and to press into what truly matters. Their greatest need is not the promised land, but the one who promised it. In short, they're saying, what's the point if you're not there with us? Folks, we have a need that we can't overlook, and the need we have is for the presence and life of God. It's a need we have to be in communion with the living God, to have the Spirit moving among us. What's the point of the promised land, they say, if God's not with us? 
And then Moses, as Israel's mediator, he prays into the whole situation. He's telling the Lord, he says, what, what's the point? If, what are the other nations going to say? Right? What, what, why would we do this? Why are we going to go without you? We can't fulfill this. Essentially, he says, if your presence will not go with me, don't bring us up from here. If you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave. If your presence doesn't take the lead, just call the trip off right now. It's not worth going if you're not there with us. And God honors Moses' prayer. Folks, there's times in the journey of life, there's times that are difficult and we face moments where we need to come back to the central thing that of we may have all kinds of stuff in life, but if God's presence is not there, then we are spiritually bankrupt. We could have all sorts, you know, life could be going just fine. But without God present in our lives, we are, we are poor. We are without. And there are moments... There's been moments in my own life where I have said, you know, Lord, without you, what else do I have? You are the most important thing. And I just want you to take a moment. Think of maybe the next step that will be happening in your life. I don't know what it is. Maybe you have a a decision you need to make. Maybe you have a medical appointment coming up or a follow-up with a doctor. Maybe you have, uh, you know, uh, maybe you're... There's school, going away to school, dealing with school, dealing with finances, whatever that next step might be in your life. How important is it that you make that step with God and not just sort of on your own? And I think like Israel, we need to say, God, I need you to go with me into whatever lies ahead. I need you personally to lead me and to guide me, whatever that thing is. Maybe, maybe there is no big dramatic decision coming. It's just the regular, ordinary, everyday life that you will be returning to after this service or in, you know, next week you're heading back into life, work, and whatever else is involved in your life. I don't know. But is God present with you in that? Do you seek the presence of God as you go about making life decisions? In verse 15, Moses shifts to plural, and he pleads with God to go with the people. And he says, it's not, you know, without you, we, we're, we're nothing. We're nobody. It's not our, their righteousness. It's not their culture. It's not their wealth that defines them. What defines Israel as Israel is their relationship with God. And if you're a Christian that's this morning, that, that's true of you as well. It's not your righteousness or lack thereof. You know, it's not my uneven performance. At the end of the day, what distinguishes me as a Christian is a relationship with Jesus. And Israel realizes they have this need that they can't overlook. They need God to go with them into the future. And how true is that for us, especially in this time? Lord, we need you to guide our steps as we head into the future. They also realize the second point. There's a mission 
that they can't achieve without God. They can't fulfill his plans or his purposes without him. They're called to be a kingdom of priests, right? They're called to be a holy nation. Well, they can't do that without God's presence in their lives. And in the same way, we as a church need the power and presence of God to fulfill the Great Commission. We need God's presence to reach the lost and the hurting in Dryden. We need God's presence to help build this orphanage in Haiti. We need God's presence if we're going to think about planting churches. ACOP has often been encouraging churches to consider church planting. If we're going to plant churches in northwestern Ontario and seek the spiritual renewal that is so needed in our country, we need the presence of God, folks, to go with us. We can't just do that on our own. We need God's presence to parent our kids well. We need God's presence as students. As students are discerning the future and discerning studies, we need God's presence to live as godly people and citizens in our society and to stand for righteousness, to say, Lord, I don't want to go another step without you. And I mentioned it in in prayer before I got started, but we have just a tremendous opportunity right now to model the peace and the hope that we have in Jesus, to reflect that in the way we deal with people in our lives. I know uh, some people have mentioned to me how the virus is a, is a work of the enemy, and that's fine. I, I honestly don't really care too much about where, where the virus comes from. I actually, I really don't. Um, because... The opportunity that the virus presents us is so much more... What we're going to do with the present is so much more important than trying to discern with what agenda a virus has been unleashed upon the world. Have you used the time to reflect on the priorities in your own life? Have you made the most of talking to the people and friends around you who don't know Jesus, who are afraid and hurting and fearful? Or have... Have you given in to the anxiety and the fear that's caused by this? We have a tremendous missional opportunity before us. A divine opportunity, I would say, to live with courage and wisdom and grace. And I was thinking this week of, of the church's long history and the, the history of the church and how the church has responded to plagues and to sicknesses in in the past. And uh, you, did you know that in Europe, it was Britain, when the plague was going on, um, all, the rich, all the rich aristocrats fled the cities so they could stay safe. And uh, so they all went out into the country and basically self-isolated. And uh, instead of fleeing, all the Christians stayed. The Christian response to a pandemic was to move in and care for the broken instead of fleeing it. The Christian response was to put our own lives and safety at risk to live out the compassion of Jesus. And so instead of retreating, the church is called to engage with love and compassion and uh, And I just wonder in our, we're so used to being so comfy, how many of us would leave, right? I just, would I leave? 
one of the biggest struggles for me through this is as a pastor, and this is perfect, this is me being rather vulnerable. It's so good we're live streaming right now. <laughs> it's been really um, the most difficult the most difficult aspect of this for me has not been running the logistics of running services with COVID, but of, of seeing how, how people will respond spiritually and, and, and how they'll assess priorities in their lives. And, and, and things like whether worship will be a priority or not, obviously. And, and um, I think of it this way. I think if I was a professional hockey player, I'm totally not a professional hockey player. If I was a professional hockey player, and if you were a professional hockey player, would you rather watch people play hockey or would you rather be on the ice playing hockey? This is not a time for us to become spectators. It's a time for us to be participants in what God wants to do. This is not a time for the church to sit on the sidelines. It's the time for the church to be the church. And the rich history of all that, that means. And of course, when we do gather for worship, we do so with wisdom and safety and caring. And all of that, of course, I'm not talking about being reckless. I'm talking about honoring God and what God calls us to. And assessing our priorities in light of that. And realizing we have a divine mission and opportunity before us. Folks, the greatest danger to our church is not, at this time, going to be persecution from outside. It's going to be spiritual apathy from within. And so the mission is before us. But we can't do it without God's presence. And I love that Israel Israel says, we need the presence. We're going to build the tabernacle. And so chapter 40, you get, after a long description of all the stuff to put the tabernacle together, you finally get Moses doing it. He finally gets it all put together, right? Our mission is not to build a tabernacle, but our mission is like the tabernacle to make God's glory known, to fill the world with worshiping disciples from all nations. And so we get to Exodus 40, and Moses completes the work, and God's glorious presence comes and fills it. This is the answer to to Moses' intercession, right? God, we need your presence here with us before we go. And so God's with them. And then it ends on this sad, this really sobering note. God's presence descends, and what happens? Moses can't go in. He can't even enter. Access to God's presence and relationship with him is only made possible when we dealt with our human sinfulness. The tabernacle, it's all about the gospel. It points ahead again to Jesus. Jesus has gone before and given his life so we can be set free, so the barrier that sin creates between us and God can be taken down. And this is how Exodus ends, that our sin needs to be dealt with if we're to access the presence of God. And Leviticus is going to pick that up. We're not going to Leviticus. Don't worry, Leviticus is one of those ones. It's like, oh, here we go. Someday we'll do Leviticus. But that theme of sin needing to be dealt with is picked up by Jesus at the cross, the one who makes God known, the one in whom the presence of God dwells. The Exodus story is our story too. And now here we are, and I do think of us very much, this is a a wilderness time for the church as God is leading us and things are unusual and we're facing challenges and obstacles and temptations, but we know that God is faithful 
to his redeemed people. And while we journey, we live by his grace and by his love. We'll face temptations. We'll face false gods. But we don't look to them. We don't even look to the tabernacle. We look now to Jesus himself. And one day we will see him. And one day the world will be made well. And we'll behold the glory of God forever. But until that day, we're called to follow him as he would lead us. Not just to hunger for his presence, folks, but to also engage with love in a world that's hurting and to navigate that with wisdom and grace. So as we conclude, let's, and as we come to the table, but as we conclude the series, let's make it our heart's cry to say, God, especially in this season, when I can get really thrown by the news and I can get thrown by the worries of people around me, Lord, I want to make the pursuit of your presence the first priority in my life. And Lord, not just for my own sake, but I want to pursue your presence because you call me to go out and to make disciples, to be a witness for you in a broken world. So let's pray to that end. And as we come to the table, let's come as a way of saying, Lord, I need you again and afresh in my life. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you so much that even in our stubbornness, our stiff-neckedness, we could say, God, that you are so faithful. That you, you come and your presence fills this place, even with these people who have just broken your commandment, just broken your law, and yet you still come. Lord, I see myself there. Even in my brokenness, you still come to rescue me. Even when I am weak, you still come to pick me up. That while I was a sinner, Christ, you came to die for me. Lord, that is true of each and every one of us here this morning. That you came not because we were good, but because you were good. And you came to bring us out of death and into life. Lord, I pray that we would make the pursuit of you and your presence in our lives the first priority. Lord, we need you in our home life, in our work life, in our marriages, in our families, in our businesses, in school. Lord, we need you to guide our steps. We need you to confront our sin, Lord, and to cleanse and forgive us. Lord, we need you because there's a task in front of us that we cannot achieve without you. Lord, you've called us to engage with love and compassion and wisdom in a world that is hurting and in a world that's antagonistic towards you. Lord, would you help us to be salt and light, especially in this time. Lord, to share the hope we have in you, to live it out, Lord, with courage and with joy with compassion. Lord, I pray right now you would put in, in each of our hearts the, the face, the, mind, the, the name of, of one in our circle of friends, of acquaintances that we could be a light to this week. Lord, would you fill us with a boldness, a willingness, Lord, to live out your gospel and to share the good news that we've received from you. And Lord, as we would come to this table, as we celebrate your death and your resurrection, Lord, would it be a reminder again that you are our daily bread.
that you sustain us, that you have called us, that you've, chal- you've challenged us and you've changed us, Lord, through your death and resurrection. We love you. Lord, would you come and may your presence fall upon us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to come to the table, and I'm going to invite Charlotte and Charles are going to help me out here. If you're a Christian this morning, you are welcome to come and to participate. There will be bread and cups on the two tables on either side. There's gluten-free crackers here as well. Thank you, guys. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he blessed it and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink of it, all of you, in remembrance of me. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. So, Lord, would you pour out your spirit upon us, upon these gifts, that as we come to this table, we would receive again afresh an outpouring of your spirit and your presence upon us. Just as the food we eat gives us life and energy for the day ahead as we come to you and recognize you as the bread of life, Lord, we pray you would sustain us for the days ahead. In your name, amen. Friends, the gifts of God for the people of God. Would you come to the table today?
Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Friends, the body of Christ given for you. shed for you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you have come to deliver us from sin and death. Lord, we proclaim our freedom in our life this morning. We thank you, Jesus. Our hearts are filled with gratitude for what you have done. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for brothers and sisters around us that we're not alone. We can gather together. Lord, bless those that are watching online from home that will be watching the service later on. Lord, bless them. Those that will be coming at the 11 a.m. service. Lord, bless them. May you bind us together, Lord, in unity. For those that can't come out, Lord, who need to be extra careful, who are awaiting surgeries and making sure they don't get sick those that have other commitments. Lord, bless them, keep them, protect them, we pray. We look forward to such a time when we can all gather together again. But until that day, we know we're united by you and your spirit. So Lord, send us out from this place alive with the gospel. We thank you again, Lord, for your presence. May your presence go with us wherever you would send us. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, before you go, receive this benediction. Children of God, loved and forgiven in our Lord Jesus Christ, may you know the presence of God deep and at work in your life. May you know the mission of God that he has given you. Whatever season of life you're in, to live out the gospel and to proclaim the hope that you have in him. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Spirit be with you all. Amen. Love you so much. Thank you for coming. Bless you. Be safe. We'll see you next week.